Welcome to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast, brought to you by Asfalis Advisors and the Disaster Recovery Journal. Crisis management in today's world is ever-changing, and this podcast is our commitment to help you navigate successful outcomes for any crisis you may face. I'm your host, Vanessa Matthews. I specialize in providing insights and solutions for crisis, continuity, and resilience across industries from real estate and healthcare to terrorism in the airline and transportation worlds. No matter what industry you're in, this podcast will provide you the tools to build resilience in your organization. Welcome back to another episode of the Business Resilience Decoded podcast. Today, I'm very excited as we have a special guest with us today. His name is Dr. Kevin Kupietz. He is the Department Chair of Aviation and Emergency Management with Elizabeth City State University. And the topic for his podcast today is Small Issues, Big Consequences. But before we get started, I want to share a few resilience resources and reminders. Go to our website and download the five-step crisis strategy that you can use to navigate through any business that has any crisis in any industry. And lastly, if you would like to request me as a speaker for an upcoming program event, you can find all of those links in the show notes for today's podcast. Secondly, with Disaster Recovery Journal, please feel free to go to the links in the show notes as well to find anything on upcoming webinars upcoming events for the DRJ conference, as well as for you to get access to the journal. And lastly, if you enjoy our podcast, rate us and review us and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts. This helps us to understand more about how we're adding value to you. And also it helps more people to find out about the Business Resilience Decoded podcast. So with that, I want to welcome our guest, Dr. K. Good to have you. It's great to be here. It's wonderful to have the opportunity to talk to professionals about the wonderful world of aviation and emergency management, how they mix and how we can avoid stepping on the small stuff and uh, having those big grenades go off. (laughs) Well, I'm looking forward to it. So I was very intrigued uh, when I looked at your title. One, you're coming from Elizabeth City State University, a historically Black college, and I graduated from Savannah State University uh, in the Homeland Security degree program. And Two, uh, my career started in aviation. So I have a passion for planes and birds in the sky. And so when I saw your title in chairing this, this department, I was really intrigued. So we'll start there. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about you and your background? So my background is a little different than the aviation. So I kind of fell into this. Uh, my background is I consider myself a firefighter paramedic by trade. I spent some time in the military. My wife told me I had to get a real job. I joined the uh, local fire department or they hired me and I fooled her because I haven't worked a day in my life since. Love my job, love my work. Uh, But from there, I kind of transitioned in the field of emergency management, higher education. I've been in higher education for more than 20 years now as a school director for emergency services and now a professor for emergency management and the chair for Department of Aviation and Emergency Management. And so when I came to Elizabeth City State University and and they were talking to me about starting an emergency management program, which I really, really wanted to do at an HBCU, they showed me their aviation department just because, you know, it was kind of like their their cornerstone project. And it's like, holy cow, do you realize what can be done in this program when we mix aviation and emergency management? They're like, no, we really hadn't thought about it. And really, most people don't think about the two going together. But in most disasters and most uh, emergency type situations, we use aircraft. COVID-19, we use the air bridges uh, to get our supplies back and forth. 
And not only do we use the aircraft for good things in emergencies and disasters, but every once in a while, unfortunately, when things go up, they have to come down and they don't always come down the way that we intended them to. So this has just been a wonderful uh, marriage has created a synergy within the university for this uh, program for us to do aviation, drones, and emergency management all together. So I'm real excited about this opportunity and I'm learning a lot about the field of aviation that I didn't know before. That is awesome. So I have a, a friend that has said, said before, if it happens on the ground, it can happen in, in the sky. <laughs> Absolutely. And you talk about a crisis, you know, when you're in the sky and something bad happens up there, you, you just can't call 911. It, it just, it, it looks a little bit differently. So um, I'm, I'm super excited. So you said one thing and I want to go back to it, but why, why an HBCU? Like, why was that something that you really wanted to do? So several years ago, I worked for a small town fire department and uh, we hadn't had a female ever in the fire department and we had very few minorities in the fire department. So it always made me wonder. And I went to the National Fire Academy and anybody who's ever had a chance to go to the National Fire Academy or the Emergency Management Institute in Maryland, they really need to go. But I went up there, they, they told me I had to write a paper and it's like, well, let me try to figure out why we don't have females in our fire department. And so I wrote a, a gender uh, diversity paper and realized how bad it really was. So in the fire service at that time, we were 2% female. I think we're up to maybe 5 or 6% female now in the fire service. And when I started looking around in diversity, we, we weren't there. And when we talk about diversity, we kind of get stuck between the idea of exclusion and inclusion. And so a lot of times we hear these departments say, well, we don't exclude anybody, but do you include them is a whole different conversation. And so, you know, I really, in my mind, felt like uh, the best place to try to make a difference in this was at an HBCU. So that's where we started our, our, our program at. Wow. That's exciting. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so in preparation for today's podcast, you shared some content about tuna and the book. <laughs> Our listeners probably have no idea what I'm talking about. So I figured uh, to, to start us off on this conversation of small issues, big consequences, can you share a little bit about the background of this story with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about emergency management, we always think about the big disasters. You know, we talk about Katrina, we talk about Maria, we talk about 9-11. And those are all things that we have to talk about. But we forget about the fact that sometimes it is the small things that really interrupt a business uh, from doing what it needs to do in an organization from being able to fulfill its mission. And so two stories that I, I've told or, or many different stories that I've told over the time to get the students interest is one is the bumblebee tuna story. So it's really kind of interesting. If you got the students who really aren't paying attention, you say, hey, did you guys hear the story about bumblebee tuna who cooked a guy and it ended up in the tuna can? So it's like, oh, no, you know, that's horrible. It's bad. It's like, yeah, and it's fake news. And they're like, what? And so we go through this whole thing. And one, one of the things that happened and social media has just made this really blow up. It's two different stories. So yeah, it actually occurred that unfortunately a, a man was, was locked up in one of the ovens uh, when the tuna was cooking in the cans back in 2012. And so that was an industrial accident that occurred. Uh, that tuna was never sent out to, to people. Uh, the tuna was, you know, he was not in the tuna like the, the story suggested it was. Uh, then a couple of years later, there's another story where there was a bumblebee tuna recall for a totally different reason. And somebody decided out of fun that they would mix these two stories together. And it just went viral. 
And it caused the, the company a lot of heartache, as you can imagine. You know, who wants to buy bumblebee tuna if, or any tuna if somebody says that there is body parts, human body parts inside the tuna fish? You're just not going to do it. And so this starts us on the whole track of how does emergency management actually fit into the public relations thing? And I'll be the first person to tell you that I'm not a PR person. I'm not, I'm not a publicist. But we have to be able to watch our image. Um, another story that I tell people is the book story. And it's really, really hard to find anything about the book, but there was a, a nature book that was written several years ago with a disgruntled employee working, and he thought it would be a good idea to change uh, one or two of the plants, and so he changed it from poisonous to safe and edible, uh, just to be mean. And of course, you know, once a few people ate the poisonous plant by mistake and it was found out what happened, that really put a huge dent in the believability of this book company or this publishing company to be able to publish good quality books that people could trust. I mean, after somebody eats a poisonous plant, as they were told to do so in the book, who's going to believe the book after that? You know, it's kind of like telling your mother, you know, no, I didn't eat the cookie. And she finds you got half the cookie underneath your bedroom pillow. She's not going to believe you, you didn't eat the cookies no more. So it's kind of the same thing. Fusion Risk Management is your North Star for operational resilience. The Fusion Framework System provides a foundation that enables you to understand how your business works, how it breaks, and how to put it back together again, which allows you to make data-driven decisions so you can anticipate, prepare, respond, and learn through business disruptions and major crisis events. Head to the link in our show notes to request a demo today. Fusion Risk Management building a more resilient world together. And we can go through history and we can all find all kinds of examples where people said something wrong or they did something that later caused them issues or things that were totally out of their control that they had to deal with. And these are all still things that the emergency management department needs to be ready to deal with because it has to deal with the, the functionality of the organization. Yeah. So I think that these stories become really good case studies for students to see and understand. Yep. So that's an interesting point. I, um, I often say within our company, when we're talking to our customers and to our team, I want to make sure that the way I define the color blue is the same color blue that you're thinking about. Because very, very small things and how we communicate um, typically are the challenges in our profession. So that kind of leads us into the next set of questions I have for you before we wrap today. Um, what are some of the common small things that you see people miss that lead us to these bigger consequences? I think this kind of goes back to our original conversation about the HBCUs and inclusion and diversity. So we have to understand the perception. And it doesn't matter what the truth is a lot of times. It matters what that perception is. And your perceptions can be different than my perception from the next person's perception. Every person that's walking through that airport has a different perception of what's supposed to be happening, whether it be customer service, whether it be the level of security or whatever the case is. So when we start to mess with that perception, then that becomes uh, a problem for all of us. Look at United Airlines, for example. You know, they got themselves, you know, some really, really bad press when they asked someone to come off of the airplane because they have had overbooked their seats. And when the gentleman refused, you know, they basically, you know, physically brought him off the aircraft. And so in their perception at that time, they were doing with what was in the policy and what they were supposed to do. But the perception of everybody else on that plane and pretty much everybody else in the world was this was excessive and this was not appropriate. So I think we really have to look hard at what is the perception of things as we move forward in our decisions. 
one of the great examples I like to give is the BP uh, oil spill, Deep Horizon. And so we look at the things in there. Uh, there's some really good case study that, that's in there between good leadership and probably leadership decisions that could have been made better. So when we look at the head executive uh, from BP, and he took the day off to go yachting with his family, to him, that made perfectly good sense to say, hey, I've been working, I need a day off. Uh, in the reality, he probably was not the one making the day-to-day -day decisions that were being made. He probably, if he was in the office or not in the office, probably made no difference what was going on. But the perception to the rest of the world was, hey, this is the guy that is responsible for cleanup. This is the guy that's responsible for doing everything that needs to happen. And where is he at? He is out on his yacht enjoying life, and the rest of us are down here cleaning the oil and the gunk off the beaches and ducks and, and not being able to fish and do whatever else was going on. So small things like that really, really do add up. And those become those small landmines that, that we step on. The world of aviation is a great example of that. Think about the perception of who wanted to fly after 9-11 and what the perception was of the person sitting next to you after 9-11 you know, was this person going to blow themselves up or, or, or try to take the plane down or, or whatever the case may be? Well, yeah. let's fast forward to, to, you know, since, you know, times of COVID, who was jumping and ready to get back on an airplane? And then, you know, if you go down a year later, you know, are you, you know, I had a family member that said, well, well I'm afraid to fly across the, the country because what if I have one of those people who, you know, who fights a flight attendant because they don't want to wear a mask, right? So, so many things, <laughs> those small things are bubbling up into big consequences to your point in that field. Absolutely. You know, it's the whole deal of perception again. You know, when COVID first came out, the idea was that the aircraft were probably some of the most dangerous places. I was actually uh, worked with, I work with National Disaster Medical Assistance uh, System, part of HHS. And so it's kind of like the National Guard, they call, we go. We were actually working with the cruise ship passengers and uh, the aircraft got pretty well locked down uh, while we were out because nobody wanted to fly in the aircraft because the idea was that they were small boxes of, cell, of, of contained air. And so whatever viruses were in there were going to stay in there. You know, there was no talk about the filtration systems and, and stuff like that. So I remember uh, even due to the perception of things, the airlines were actually going through and they were taking plastic and they were actually taping up different parts of the aircraft with plastic walls in between passengers to try to give that perception of something was going to be safe in one area, but not the other, even though it's all the same air system. Absolutely. Well, I definitely appreciate that. So organizations are facing greater challenges with greater consequences, but yet their budget is continuously decreasing. I thought this would be a great question for you because you come from a field of higher education, specifically a historically black college has a different set of resources and capacity than our predominantly white institutions. And then if you take that over to the aviation field, emergency management and risk does not generate revenue in aviation, right? So their budgets are decreasing as well. Based on your experience, what recommendations do you have for folks who are sitting in your shoes in higher education and aviation to help them uh, continuously manage these small issues but reduce these big consequences? I guess the, the advice is to look at every opportunity that comes available and make sure you're looking at it again with the different sets of perceptions. So we're looking for those opportunities. We're looking for those strengths that we can continue to build upon. Uh, but then we're also looking for those weak areas, you know, those landmines that we can avoid stepping on. 
uh, for example, in, in our fleet of aircraft, you know, we have a couple of older aircraft and we were trying to decide whether we should redo the seats in them or not. You know, that seems like a, a pretty benign thing. And most people would say, well, you know, if you're, you're hurt for money, don't, don't redo the seats. But then you got to kind of think about, you know, what are the consequences if you don't do something small like that? So you'd hate to see a, a student pilot get stuck in the, the, the butt or the back with a spring that sticks out from the seat because you didn't recover the seat. Now, all of a sudden they do a jerk on the, on the yoke and something bad happens. But the other thing happens is with that perception, what happens when that parent comes in and they want that child to, or the child wants to learn how to fly and become a pilot, which can be a very lucrative career. And, and the, the parent looks at that older plane and looks at the seat that looks kind of ragtag and says, no, I don't think we're going to do that. Um, so, you know, you got to kind of look at that whole thing and, and see where our opportunities are and what our consequences are going to be if we don't grab those opportunities and, and do what we need to do sometimes. And, and I'll be the first one to say, you know, a lot of times it takes some really creative out of the box thinking for small organizations to be able to do what they need to do. Awesome. Well, I definitely appreciate that. So last question, where can our listeners find you? Uh, they can find us anytime at Elizabeth City State University in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. Welcome to, to uh, come out and visit us. I know that we can't do that, especially in the world of COVID all the time. So if they go to ecsu.edu, they can look up the Department of Aviation Emergency Management. We have two wonderful Facebook uh, offerings. One is if you just Google the ECSU Aviation, and another one, if you Google ECSU Emergency Management, you will see all of the cool, innovative things that our students are doing. And uh, I've been told that it has actually inspired people to uh, continue the process and do things that they normally would not have done. And isn't that what life's all about? Step out of your comfort zone a little bit, move to the next level. Well, that sounds like leadership. So thank you so much, Dr. K, for your time. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast brought to you by Asphalus Advisors and Disaster Recovery Journal. Make sure you check out the show notes for this episode to see all the upcoming events, programs, and ways we can support you. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a review, and share it with a friend. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.